Well, it's a distinct privilege and pleasure to be joined by Pastor Keon Henderson today. Pastor, how are you? Rob, I'm doing well. How are you, sir? I'm very well. How, how's 2020 been for you? I mean, what a year. Uh, it's been a year, a uh, lot of ups and downs, uh, pulled in directions that uh, we typically wouldn't uh, feel as comfortable with, with the, the social uh, injustice and unrest on one end and the pandemic on the other, and then balancing the church uh, in between the two. And so um, it's been a challenging year, but I've been telling people, uh, even in spite of the challenges, it's actually been one of the best years. Amazing. What, what, is it, what has made it? one of the best years for you? You know, I always think that when you're, when you can learn, you know, when you can increase your learning curve. Uh, I was talking to uh, one of the city officials, the mayor of our city uh, yesterday, and he said, uh, when it comes to crises, uh, after the first one in the year, everything else was a management of the same. We, we had hurricane after hurricane. Uh, here in the last few years, we had Hurricane Harvey that just ravaged our city. Yeah. Uh, we had been feeding uh, 2,000 families uh, every month, every other month anyway. And so we, we were already proficient in our feeding lines. We had already been benevolent. So what we got a chance to do uh, during the pandemic uh, when things got tough is to really test our systems uh, to see if they will work more accurately. And so we've been able to do rapid COVID testing uh, at the church uh, a few times. So our systems have proved uh, to work. And so uh, it's been a good year, uh, really, in the fact that showed us that what we were doing uh, when people were not as in need, um, you know, actually were, was fluent in this season. So it's been a great, it's been a great run for us. Amazing. Now, now, of course, that's 2020. But but let's rewind a little bit. You've got, I would say you have a very eclectic ministerial footprint. So you're a pastor, a producer, a singer, songwriter, you're a preacher. Um, you haven't always been those things. So let's go yeah. back to the beginning, where you come from, where you've been, and, and how that gets you to, um, to where you are now. Yeah, well, all of that stuff came later. Uh, Rob, the first thing I was, uh, was a, um, an employee at Taco Bell. <laughs> That's where I had my first job. And, Maybe. you know, yeah, my mother uh, was a single mother. She raised three biological children. Wow. And also she raised uh, one godchild. And so four of us lived in a two bedroom apartment and um, she worked at Taco Bell. She made about five to $7 an hour. When she got to $7 an hour, she was, she, that was her raise. And uh, she, she reared us all on that. Uh, but my mom was strong. She always taught us it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And uh, so she went on to hire all four of us. So uh, once we got working age, we were all working at Taco Bell together. And so uh, my $5 an hour and my sister's $5 an hour. And uh, if you add all of our money up, we're, we're about $30 combined. And uh, that's when times were good. But, um, you know, my struggle uh, was not so much on my mother's end. She was... Uh, an amazing mother. Yeah. Um, she worked hard and made sure that we had everything we needed. But the hard part was the father in. And um, I wrote in my book, The Shift, um, about uh, first chapter, death, divorce, and daddy issues. It's, it's, the, it's the backdrop of my, my experience. Um, and so he was the pastor of the church 
that I attended, I didn't know he was my father until I was 12 years old. Wow. And so I went to church Sunday after Sunday looking uh, at this man as a hero, um, asking God sometimes in prayer, if you could just give me a father like that, only to find out the entire time I had a father like that. Um, and I grew up with this equality issue because he was extremely talented and gifted as a minister. And he would tell people about how they should raise their children and, and, and how a father should be to a son. And I sat there in the pews for 20 years saying, well, if it's that easy, why don't you do it? Um, and of course he never did, but it built this inequality in my psychological yeah. uh, reservoir where I really had a hard time dealing with people who would say one thing but do another, right? And uh, to a point where I was even unfair to people uh, who would simply make simple mistakes or lapses of memory. But if you told me one thing and didn't do it, I would always expect it. And so uh, that's the backdrop of, of who I am. But all of that uh, has fueled the preacher, the author, uh, the athlete, uh, the business person, because I spent a lot of my life trying to prove to him that I was worth his attention. And uh, as a result of that, I was able to, um, you know, accure a few skill sets, and it's been a blessing. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's such a preacher's quote, but there's always a story behind the glory. Um, how, how have you made sure that those struggles were simply speed bumps as opposed to stumbling blocks? Because a lot of people would have just been thrown by, by that in their lives, but, but you've actually overcome that stuff and not just survived, but, but thrived. Well, you know, in the beginning, they were not just speed bumps, they were mountains. I mean, wow. I had the hardest time getting over it. Um, it wasn't until, you know, the Bible says uh, in Corinthians, remember it says, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child. But Robert said, but when I became a man, yes. I put away childish things. And I remember the day that everything shifted for me. I became a man, I had a daughter, and for the first time, I was at the age and in the same situation that my father was in when I was born. Because here's the part you don't know. My father was married when I was born. So my sister and I were illegitimate children. We were born out of wedlock, so he couldn't tell everybody about us because his wife and his other family was in the church. So we were this secret. So that's the reason why it couldn't come out. And it wasn't until I became a man that I understood that if I were his age in his situation, it would have taken an immense amount of courage to get in front of a church and say, not only have I had one child outside of my marriage, but I've been unfaithful twice. And it wasn't until I became a man that I understand the insurmountable weight of that task, therefore being able to extend grace to him and say, you know what? I'm grateful you didn't abort me. I'm grateful that I, I wasn't put up for adoption. I'm, I'm yeah. grateful that you, um, and I, I hate to use this word, but in some wise allowed my mother to go through with the pregnancy because I, I could have not been here. So that grace came after placing myself in his position. Um, and that's when the mountain came down to a speed bump. So the way I was able to turn the speed bump into a trampoline is I did something that a lot of Christians don't like to do. I went to therapy. I went to counseling. I, I went to allow somebody 
who wasn't so spiritual, right? And somebody who uh, had read the Course in Miracles and didn't just know all of the miracles in the scripture to elaborate um, about how we get here. And my therapist said something to me, Rob, that changed my life. He said, you should stop asking yourself what happened. Excuse me. He said, you should stop asking yourself what's wrong with me. And I want to say that correctly because I want to make sure that we get that right. My, my therapist said, you should stop asking yourself what's wrong with me. And he said, a better question is, what happened to me? Because if you keep asking yourself what's wrong with me, you could dig all the way down to China and not find that answer. But if you say what happened to me, you can go right to a place of specificity. Isaac knew what happened to him. He could point back to the mountain, right? Joseph knew what happened to him. He could point back to the pit. And if you could go back to the place, that's why Joseph was able to say in Genesis 50, what you meant for evil, God meant for my good because he was able to go back to the event of what happened to him and not what was wrong with him. Oh my goodness, that is gold. I mean, you, you've given us a broad brushstroke picture of, of those seasons, but some people will, will be in a difficult season right now. And you've written this amazing book called The Shift, Courageously Moving from Season to Season. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the trauma of transition and when you're not, where you're not where you were, but you're not where you want to be. Um, how, how have you had to navigate your way through those seasons? And, and what do we do when we're in those seasons of transition? Yeah, I call it, I call it the misery of the middle, right? And, and let's think of all of these places. You know, if you're not fortunate enough to fi- fly private like some people are, or get a first-class ticket, if, if you're like most of the world, most of us, if you fly coach, the seat that you want to avoid is the one in the middle, right? You, you either want the window so you can lay, or you want the aisle so you can move, so but the can. middle seat. You're subject to the movement of everybody on either side, right? It was, it was in the middle of the lake that Peter began to sink. Yeah. It, it's just something about the middle. But, but here was the applicable test. Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he must ded- uh, meditate on it both day and night, and he shall be like a tree, planted by the rivers of water. See, that movement, watch this, because that word planted actually means transplanted. That means that the tree did not originate by the rivers of water. That meant that it had to be picked up and brought to the rivers of water. And the application of struggle is that when you are in a dry season, you have to have enough courage to pick up your roots and put them in the place where you can be fed. That means sometimes you have to pick up your church membership and go to a place where you can grow and not a place where you were born. Sometimes that means you have to pick up your emotions and go to a therapist. Sometimes you have to pick up a book and feed your mind knowledge. I think that the application is often uh, associated with movement. And the problem with movement is that it often is required from you when you don't feel like doing it. When you don't feel like moving, when you don't feel like praying, when you don't feel like forgiving, and that's when God is most pleased. Yeah. Do you think that he felt like dying on the cross? Do you think he felt like a crown of thorns? Do you think he felt like uh, being speared in the side? No, but he did it 
so that we might have a right to the tree of life. And he even said this. This is how we know. He says, Father, if it be thy will, I don't want to do this. Let this bitter cup pass me by. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And I think that you have to do it when you don't feel like it. You have to do it afraid. You have to do it scared. You have to do it broke and broken. You have to do it frustrated. You have to do it rejected. You have to do it depressed. You just have to do it. How do we discern, determine, and delineate what's God's voice in a season and what's him calling us to just wait? Of course, waiting's never passive, but how do you tune into God's frequency when sometimes nothing in front of you looks like it's um, budding or being fruitful? Like, how do you discern and determine whether to move or whether to stay? Yeah, I've got, I've got a daughter. She's eight years old. And if she and I were in a grocery store right now, okay, and I was on aisle one, but she saw some toy in aisle 15, and she just, and she does, she just walks <laughs> away as if the world isn't dangerous, and she just goes. But I'm telling you right now, if I am in aisle one, and she is in aisle 15, and I cannot see her, if she says, Daddy, I will know her voice because I listen to her so often and we talk so often that even if I cannot see her, I can hear her. When I hear a person say, how do I know if it's God speaking to me? Then I know that sometimes I am in the presence of someone who doesn't speak to him often enough to decipher his voice. His voice sounds like no other voice. His voice has a frequency like no other voice. And, those, and here's what the scripture says, the day you hear my voice, Harden not in your heart. And another text says, my sheep know my voice and a stranger they will not follow. When you, you, have to, you have to have frequent conversations with God. You have to be in his word, as I just quoted in Psalms 101, both day and night. You, you've got to pray. You've got to fast. And, and you have to do that when things are good. Same. Because when you are angry and frustrated, even scientists will tell you that 50% of your brain capacity shuts down when you're angry, right? So that way, when your brain is shut down, then you're going to have to rely on other senses. And, and consistency is a sense, not just an act. Consistency, consistency is another sense. Um, and when you're consistent with God and you know that voice, you can be in the valley and know his voice. You can be on the mountaintop and know his voice. You can be a base and a bound and know his voice. So my answer to, to the question is, you got to be consistently walking with God so you can hear him even when your senses are shutting down. Mm, beautiful answer. I mean, you, you've been exposed to and experienced a lot of great leaders. How do the good leaders deal with transition? What mindsets have they adopted? and the great leaders, like what, what sets them apart from your experience and what you've seen and been exposed to? You know, and you're one of those people. So I just want to say to everybody who's watching right now, this brother wall is phenomenal. <laughs> when he was launching this particular program right now, I want you to know he did it with all of you all in mind. And in order to get the word out, he reached out to every person of influence that he knew. You can go on YouTube right now and see all of these people pubbing this show and talking about it. And he shows you the first way that successful leaders transition. They always transition first through relationships. So good. They do it through relationships. 
And the best time to have a friend is before you need one. The reason why he was able to get all of us to go out there and say, oh, you need to watch this show is because we've received the Christmas cards and we received the birthday text and we received all of the other things and say, hey, this guy's genuine and he's a real friend. So you got to, first of all, do it through relationships. Yeah. Number two, if you're going to transition, transition, uh, transition successfully, if you're going to transition successfully, uh, the second thing you have to do is have a system. And one of the things I always tell people is the reason why you need a system, it's an acronym. It saves you stress, time, energy, and money. You got to have relationships, and then you got to have a system. The third way that I have always seen leaders of high caliber influence transition is they never stay in the place too long. They always know when it's time to move on. They always know when it's somebody else's turn. They always know when to turn it over. Staying too long kills the work that you did in the long haul. You got to know when to move on. You got to know, um, uh, here it is, Moses, uh, when he first is uh, called to be the emancipator uh, of the Egyptians, uh, excuse me, the Israelites, uh, the Bible lets us know that he was amongst the people. Yeah. Right? He was among them, and he was walking in the wilderness just like them. But it was, when it got closer to time to get to Canaan, you notice he backed up from the people. And now, like a symphony conductor, he is now speaking to the people. And when they began complaining so much that they got comfortable with him, you see Moses go up to the mountain and talk to God. And those are the three stages of transition, amongst, in front, and up. And I think those are the three ways that you know um, that you can transition. Wow, guys, I hope, you, I hope you realize what you're getting for free right now. Uh, most people would pay a lot of money for executive coaches to, to tell them about, about this stuff. It, it's absolute gold. Um, Pastor, I was watching um, a, a preach I, I did 10 years ago. I was, just, I was just doing some communication training. I was looking back at a sermon I did 10 years ago, and I thought, man, I, I, w I wouldn't agree with the old me now, which is great because it shows I've evolved. But all that to say, I'd love to hear from you as you reflect on the past 10 years, the past uh, um, decade, and what would you do differently based on what you know now mm. to what you knew then? I would have done much more, much sooner. Wow. I, I was afraid of nothing, right? I was afraid of failure, and I did it anyway. <laughs> Yeah. I, was a I was afraid of rejection, and I got rejected anyway. I was afraid of losing certain friends, and I lost them anyway. And so since I ended up right where I was afraid to end up, I would have just done what God put in my heart earlier. I, I was too deferential and too hesitant and too afraid yeah. to to evolve and become everything that he put into me because I never saw growing up a pastor who was an entrepreneur and an author and, and, and wrote music and sung music and, uh, and, and did all the things that I did uh, and wore skinny jeans and leather jackets yeah. in the pulpit, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> By exactly. the way, your jacket is amazing. Thank I, you. I did all of, I was afraid I wore suits. Yeah. And then one day I realized, I hate wearing suits. The ties make me feel like I'm going to vomit when I'm trying to yell. 
the, the jacket is restrictive. And if I'm in a t-shirt, I can lift my hands and actually worship. So good. Nobody cared. I love it. John Maxwell said in a podcast I watched of his just uh, the other day, he said, successful leaders tend to miss their moment and not make it to the top because they don't have the emotional stamina to survive. Here we are thinking it's all about talent and it's about connections and all of those things are amazing. But how many of us don't make it to the top simply because we have not managed our emotions properly? And then he said something that blew my mind. He said, and you should know that when you do fail, yeah. nobody cares. <laughs> I mean, this is from the leadership who gave us the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership known throughout the world. When you fail, nobody cares. And nobody's going to wait on you to get yourself up and dust yourself off and get going. When I learned that, I became fearless, fearing the Lord, but fearless about the journey. And I pressed toward the mark for the prize of the upward call. And as long as Jesus is my light and my salvation and a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path, I hide in the secret place of his pavilion. And I know that in time of trouble, he'll hide me. I mean, you're proving to everyone, people knew this already, but you're proving to everyone how exceptionally experienced you are, exceptionally articulate you are as a preacher and communicator. Um, I just want us to camp out here. It's my favorite topic, communication and preaching. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your ethos, your methodology when it comes to communicating the gospel? Who inspires you? What are you thinking whilst you're preparing? Um, I remember years ago, first hearing about you, uh, I think it was because Pastor Stephen Furtick mentioned you from the pulpit, just saying what a great communicator you are. And I was thinking, gosh, if Stephen Furtick's saying this, I need to go check this guy out. And sure enough, <laughs> checked you out. You're preaching at your home church. And just the, it, it was a mixture of anointing with incredible biblical teaching. Um, where did this all start, Pastor? You see, most of the time, the people who congratulate me are people who I've studied. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's good. I study Steve Furtick's, not just the way he speaks, but his movements, the way he treats his sons and daughters and his wife. And I have taken our church uh, staff to Elevation three separate times on a field trip just so they can see. I owe it to him um, as one of the reasons we're a multi-site church now. Mm. Bishop T.D. Jakes is another one. The anointing and the power that he carries um, is what attracted my gift to him. And a funny story about how I met him is I was just in a restaurant. I was in a restaurant, he was in the restaurant, I was getting ready to walk out of the door. He stands up and says, hey, somebody bring that young man to me. He looks me in my face and says, you've been asking God to meet me, haven't you? Now, he doesn't know I'm a preacher. He, he doesn't know I even exist. This is insane. He doesn't know that since the age of 14 that my mother used to pray over me every night and say, Lord, give him the anointing of Bishop Jake. She prayed that over me since the age of 14. She gave me a notebook. And she told me, the Bible says, write a vision and make it plain. So I wrote in the book, 
when I was 14 years old in 1995 of July, I will be a trusted son of Bishop T.D. Jakes. Who knew that in 2020 that he and I would talk on the phone every day about scripture, about life? Who knew he would be my spiritual father? So those people who congratulate me, I call it the law of attraction. I, I thought about them and prayed for them. And, and through the law of attraction, uh, I was drawn to them and they were drawn to me. My preaching is not just influenced by scripture. I think that one of the ways that it has become effective, if it is effective, is because I lace it with current events and life application. Yeah. David said it was good that I was afflicted that I might learn the statues of God. The only reason why I'm effective is because I've been afflicted. So what, what you get from me is my heart turned inside out because my real goal is to either teach a person how to prevent the pain that I've experienced or to teach the person how to prepare for the pain I've experienced. I've dedicated my life to making sure that people don't have to struggle. And if you do know, if you do have to struggle, I want you to struggle with class. I've, I've dedicated my life to absorbing the scriptures in a way that if you are five years old or you are 65 years old in the same room, I want the both of you to be able to walk away with something that was applicable to your life. And so this is what I do. Bishop Jakes taught me this. He says, first of all, you have to study yourself full. So yeah. if I'm on a topic of faith, I'm going to read everything that I can get my hands on on faith. Sometimes 50, 60 pages that I will read in one sitting on a word. Wow. So I'm going to study myself full. Then I'm going to take all of that because I know that everything that I gather in information is not necessary for presentation. So I'm going to go through that. And then I'm going to do number two. I'm going to think myself clear. That's good information, but maybe for not, not for this audience. That's good information, <clears throat> but not at this time. So I'm going to study myself full. I'm going to think myself clear. Then I'm going to pray myself hot. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go into a place in the house, and I'm going to pray until I feel the Holy Ghost. I don't just pray like that when I'm in front of people. I pray like that when I'm in the car. I've got to feel his presence. And once I've studied myself full, once I've thought myself clear, once I've prayed myself hot, then I let myself go. Yeah. I just say, God, use me, speak to me, show me in private what they're dealing with in private, and let us have a conversation on this stage or on this platform that will leave all of us feeling better. That's been my strategy. I take it seriously. I don't take it for granted. I love to do it. And uh, I'm just even grateful that anybody thinks that what I do is great because sometimes I feel that the greatest moments where people are often helped, I leave the pulpit feeling like, ugh, that was so <laughs> terrible. I, I, and then everybody says they were blessed. And I'm like, well, I guess the aim should be to feel real terrible about myself so that way I can help people. <laughs> I love that. And, and obviously you've got such a deep well of, of biblical knowledge and application. And obviously you, you study yourself full, but is there, um, is there a sense in which you're, you're always 
kind of wanting and striving to get new insights from scripture i mean let's get really granular here are you listening to content all the time i, I remember listening to a um podcast i think again it was 30 once and he was saying at one season he listened to 30 talks a week on top of leading a church and i was kind of just blew my mind and gave me an yeah. appetite for that so so i just wondered like what's your um process really for staying um relevant and listening to others and the like yeah yeah steve steven frederick's a freak a freak of nature this he guy is. yeah he i mean and he's he's a year younger than me wow and that's the thing that just baffles me uh at how young he is i i think i don't even think he's 40 years old yet you know i'm 39 so he may be 38 i, I don't know but he's he's insane but uh yeah, yeah. what i do is i i actually use my commute time to listen to audibles instead of songs that I already know the words to. Right? Um, you'd be amazed at how many moments the average person wastes in a day. If you take all of the wasted time, you could, you could encourage yourself in the Lord. I'm <laughs> listening to a podcast in the shower. That's 10 minutes. So true. Right? Um, and if I, if, if I want to, then I listen to it while I'm brushing my teeth. That's another two minutes listening while I'm getting dressed. I keep headphones in the car because sometimes I may get out of the car. And if I'm going into a place where there's a line and I have to wait, perhaps a bank or something like that, or maybe uh, the store I'm listening to. So I just, that word have I hidden in my heart. I just take it everywhere I go and, and on airplanes. Yeah. While most people are on the airplanes watching a movie that they've seen before, yeah. I've got the iPad out studying and looking at different notes. And so I just try to utilize m my moments. And yeah. then sometimes I get tired of it all and I walk away from it. Yeah. And you need that too. And yeah. I put the, the scriptures down <clears throat> and I'll go watch one of my favorite movies, The Five Heartbeats. Beautiful. <laughs> and I'll go back and, and read the word. I can watch that movie, Rob, right now. You and yeah. I right now, I can watch it without a problem. But yeah, so I do have downtime, um, but I just love it so much that it's not an inconvenience for me. Mm. Penultimate question, Pastor. We want to honor your time, and th these answers have just been phenomenal. Um, my question is this when you've experienced so much and you've achieved so much and you've got so many accolades and accomplishments, how do you remain driven? How do you keep your kingdom ambition? How do you stay motivated to take more ground for Jesus and, and his kingdom's cause? I asked Joel Osteen the same question one day on the phone. I said to him, uh, Pastor Osteen, how do you stay? I mean, he is just the nicest guy yeah. uh, that you ever want to meet amidst all of the criticism and pressures of the world, he remains himself. Yeah. And I asked him one day, how in the world do you do it? How do you stay as humble as you are and you have the compact center as a church? 16,000 seats in this room and a global ministry. Yeah. And when you do a night of hope, you have to rent a baseball stadium just to give people the word of God. And how is it that you will answer my text message? Pastor Osteen said, because the Lord giveth and he taketh away. Now, let me tell you, that is as simple as an answer as anybody can give. 
If you don't want to keep it, show God that you think you earned it. There it is. If, if you don't want him to continue to use you, let him see that you think you earned it. I am honored to be chosen. I am honored to be used. And I know that I don't deserve it. So where can the arrogance come from? Is no doing of my own. I am not super intelligent. I am not full of this wisdom of Solomon. I don't have a billion dollars in the bank. I'm just an ordinary guy who had some extraordinary opportunities. And because I prepared myself for them, I was able to leverage them and accumulate what we call success. But I am under the impression that if the Lord gave it to me, he can take it away. The second thing that I always hear in my ear is an old preacher, almost 90, wow. in Ohio. His name is Bishop Sherman Watkins. And he said that if you want to be successful in his life, you have to do two things. He said, treat people right and yeah. love the Lord and you shall eat of the fat of the land. That's simple. And I figured if I could see a man that was almost 90 that can still get on an airplane and travel by himself and drive himself, if that's the, if that's the recipe, it's simple enough for me. My word. Wow. I need to sit in that for a while. That is, that is really deep. Uh, final question, and, and then we'll just ask you to let us know how we can pick up your book, find you on social media and your website, etc. But, um, you know, it's John Maxwell's favorite interview question that he asked people, what's one thing you know we don't know that we need to know as we come into a new year, finishing 2020, entering 2021? That's a great question. I've never heard that question before, but the first thing that comes to mind is the one thing that I know that you may not know that you need to know <laughs> is you need to know what you do not know. <laughs> that was really you just sweet. need to know what you don't know because we make so many assumptions based on what we think we know. It's, so true. it's just not only important to know what you know, but you have to also know what you don't know. And when you know what you don't know, then it gives you the freedom to go find somebody who does know it so that you can leverage their, their skill set so you don't have to fail on the onset. That's my answer to the question. Well, that, I've asked that, I, I'm going on record in saying this. I've asked that question over a hundred times this year and that's the best response I have had. And, and, and we're, not wow. talking about, we're not talking about lightweights answering that question, Pastor Keogh. Oh, wow. look, you're, you're an amazing guy. You, you inspire us. Uh, thank you for your wisdom. How, how can we find you? You've really whet some people's appetite to, to find more of your teaching and wisdom. Where can we find you? Well, you can find us in several places. Number one, uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, at Pastor Keon. Uh, and my name is K-E-I-O-N. It's that simple. Uh, Pastor Keon and uh, Keon Henderson on Facebook. And you, you can subscribe uh, to our YouTube channel uh, with the same name. The name of our church is the Lighthouse Church. <clears throat> and 
We have an app in the App Store, TLHC. Uh, everywhere they have something, we have something. Uh, you can Google us. And uh, I often tell people, you know, we get, oh, I would say five or 600 direct messages every hour, <laughs> right? And I try my best uh, along with our team. And I would say with about 85% accuracy, uh, we try to respond to all of them, um, right. at least those who are in dire straits. And it takes a collective of us, uh, whether it's prayer. And so sometimes you'll be in there, it'll be actually me talking to you. So um, it's called social media for a reason. So it's it's an opportunity for us to be social. So hit us up. I spend a lot of my time on Instagram and uh, we'll talk back at you. Thank you, Pastor. Well, have an amazing remaining 2020 and no doubt we'll hear from you again in 2021. God bless you. Oh, it's been an honor and I cannot wait to have you at the Lighthouse Church. Amazing. Speak soon.